0: Hi, this
1: is George Denholm. And this is Dustin Weber. Welcome to the 5x2 podcast, where each week we discuss
0: Christian discipleship. We hope that you'll find this podcast interesting and informative, but also challenging as you strive to grow in your discipleship to Jesus, our Lord and Savior. We welcome
1: Julie Dietrich again, who's uh, continuing to co-host with us uh, for these next few weeks as we discuss grace and truth. And again, grace and truth is the focus of a Sunday morning Bible group led by Pastor John and Pastor Adam that uh, will be running through the beginning of October. So to get us started off today, George, can you kind of just introduce us into this week's topic of grace and truth and fullness and just kind of remind us again of... Just a quick definition of truth and a quick definition of grace.
0: Well, to start with grace, of course that's all the gifts that we get from God that we don't deserve, and those all come through Jesus Christ. But then it also kinda has that application of how do we live that out as we deal with other people. So grace is we share God's love with others. And then truth would be the ultimate reality for our life, and we would add, as expressed in God's word. And so that includes both words of law, what we're doing wrong, and words of gospel, what God has done for us. So it's truth that you are a sinner, but it's truth also that you're a forgiven sinner that's been redeemed by Christ. And so as we look at those things, you know, it's often one of those things that we confuse truth with law. And as we've been talking through this, truth is both the good and the bad. We need to hear the bad so the good means even more. And so as we've been talking about the fullness, Jesus is the only one that's ever been able to demonstrate the fullness of grace and truth. And, and all of us usually will lean one way or the other. We'll lean into uh, speaking just the truth or living just in grace. And there's a balance, a tension that happens between those. And that's what we are talking about in the Sunday Morning Bible Group this Sunday, as John and Adam talked about that ongoing tension between truth and grace. I think that
1: takes us to our first point of, from the class of remembering that love is the tension between grace and truth. So, George, can you kind of tell us, first of all, kind of maybe a recap real quick what was going on in the class or was talked about and kind of what you think when you hear that love is the tension between grace and truth?
0: Again, one of the things that's been beneficial to me in my Christian life is being a parent, that you understand more about God when you think about how you deal with your children because you bring to your children the discipline of you're wrong and the discipline of this is how we do it better but also the love i forgive you this is not going to make me think less of you and so when you think about god jesus balances truth and grace because he's love god is love and so for us as we're looking to also balance truth and grace in our lives we've got to keep that in mind too What is God? God is love. What do we need to do? Reflect God. We need to show love in all that we do.
2: When I first heard that statement that you read, Dustin, initially, remember that love is a tension between grace and truth. I had to read that several times to really start digesting what they were trying to say. So, George, thanks for all of that. I love your parallel with our being parents and Jesus's role and also God, our Heavenly Father, just him modeling what that looks like to be a parent. But you're right. I think it's the word tension that threw me off because the word love and tension don't typically go hand in hand.
0: Well, and I think that's we've talked about with you, Julie, that like sometimes your love for others wants you to be all grace. Mm. But ultimately, you know that your love for and I can use your kids and grandkids, too, that our love means that we have to sometimes bring the law, the discipline, the rules in order that they are healthier, happier. yeah, And there was a
1: verse that I'm assuming was from the class, Georgia. you had written down, but Ephesians 4, verse 15, that says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. I think just to kind of reiterate the point that you were just making. So then kind of transitioning to our our second point that we want to talk about, and Julie, you can kind of chime in first this time, but be known for what you're for rather than what you're against be known for what you love rather than what you hate what's mm. your kind of first thoughts on that
2: <clears throat> my first thought is lean toward the positive instead of the negative you know it's like are you making lemonade or are you what, what's that saying <laughs> <laughs>
0: When life gives you lemons, Lemon. give make lemonade.
2: Or maybe it's the glass is half full instead of half empty. But my first thought is, why lean toward the negative when you can lean toward the positive?
0: I think that what John and Adam brought out in class there was too oftentimes Christians by the world are known for what we're against. Hmm. And and oftentimes it's not what, maybe what we're all against, but it's a perception of, Hey, we hate this group because they do something that God says is we shouldn't do. And it's oftentimes a misperception, but sometimes it's a true perception that's perpetuated by a certain group of folks. You know, I think about the one, and I'm not going to mention their name, but they're known for picketing for anything they disagree with. And they'll get out in front of, you know, what seems to be a great, peaceful gathering of folks and just complain about the little issues, you know, Mm -hmm. what these people are doing wrong. And I think that then gives us that reputation. Christians become known for what they don't like. So one of the things that we did in class that I thought might be an interesting thing to do. As you think about your spiritual life, what do you love spiritually? You know, So it can be a, a broad topic, it can be something smaller. So for example, I start thinking about, I love hanging out with Christians talking about God's Word. Mm-hmm. Now some people love worship, they love singing, some people love, you know, uh, digging in and, and going deep into God's word and looking at all the commentaries. Is there something that you love spiritually? I think singing worship songs. I'm a horrible, horrible singer,
1: but I enjoy it just being able to, yeah, just to praise God through song. I think the other thing, I love having those conversations with people about how God has impacted them. Mm-hmm. Um, I really love hearing people's stories. There's another piece of that as well, of how, how God has stepped in and used certain situations and how it just has how God has impacted them. So that's, that's what comes to mind first for me.
2: I echo you. I love worship songs and I love hearing the lyrics and just how does that work in my life? But I think when you first asked that, George, my initial thought was, I love being quiet so I can hear God talking to me because we can get so busy and we can fill our space with words and whatever. But when we're so quiet and we hear him talking, you know it's of him. That's so real. And so I love it.
0: Yeah, and and it's one of those things kind of, it's hard to say, because if you think about our five by two, there's aspects of each one, you know, I love being in prayer and seeing the answer to a prayer, or I love being in God's word, and he opens up something new and fresh. But like, when you really think about it, what would other people say about you? Mm. You know, what is it that you're like, going back to our question, are you known for something you love? So, Julie, you might be known now for loving singing because you've been up in front singing with the I think Dustin needs to team. join me now. Yeah, that's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> I said once upon a time that I've done just about everything once in this building except that except for I've not played a musical instrument in worship. I did sing one time we had a men's retreat and we sang one song at the men's retreat like four or five times. And like all these guys loved it. So somebody suggested we need to get up in front and sing. So they see men sing. (laughs) And so I sang in front with the men's group one time.
2: I can actually connect some dots here when you brought that up, because I've thought for years, I would love to sing down in front, but like, I'm not good enough. I can't do that. And so I kind of just prayed through that and, tried to just turn God's voice off because I didn't want to hear yes because I was a little nervous to do that and he just kept like I just was quiet about it and just tried to hear him and he aligned everything together to make it obvious that I needed to do that and I'm so glad that I heard what he said and that he gave me the courage to to do it and now I love it so and I'm grateful for Daniel for taking me under his wing and helping me through
0: that. I think that's the mark of a great music director is to recognize some talent and then to nurture and encourage it, you know. I know uh, your sister Lisa was great at finding some of those kids. I think I've mentioned in our podcast before. Lisa would find these kids in like second, third grade, and the first time they sang, it's like, what is she seeing them? But then in high school, by the time she'd work with them, and they'd taken, they had beautiful voices. And so there, there's just that's a, a great sign. I think both Daniel and Lindsay are doing that. They're mm-hmm. recognizing some some of our younger talent or some of our more mature talent oh, that's, that, that's less nice exper- way to put it that's less experienced and then bring it to the forefront.
1: I'm the one that has no musical talent, so they're not looking at me, and that's okay.
0: So uh, anyhow, since I haven't played a musical instrument, just sitting here thinking about it, I think the next children's message I do, I'm going to bring the harmonica or the recorder up there so I can say I've I've played music in church. All right, so let's go the other way. So is there something spiritually you hate? And this would be like some Christians would say, oh, I hate drinking or I hate gambling. You know, one of the things that I really hate is when I see... And, and I got to be careful why I say that because I'm, I'm guilty of it, right? But when I see people that say that they're Christians being selfish so for example you come to a church gathering and there's a bowl of candy and somebody grabs the whole handful you know that, that I go, there. the
2: whole handful of the whole bowlful. they they grab a whole handful <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: thank you very much you can see george like he's using his hands to show us right now but since we're on the podcast nobody can see it what's what the video of that for you
0: yeah, i have to take a video but like that's just like an out there example but you know sometimes it seems like we in the church become selfish with the things that god has given to mm. us you You know, I don't want anybody to come into our building because it's a beautiful building. It might get dirty or, you know. So when people get selfish about something God's given to them, it seems to be something I really hate.
2: Hmm. I think mine would be kind of parallels to something I said earlier about what I was trying to say about lemonade, but it was really (laughs) the full glass of water. It's not that I hate it, but I just, it kind of bothers me when people tend to be more negative than positive, you know, being pessimistic as opposed to optimistic, because I just don't know, why would you spend time being pessimistic and be negative? So it's not that I hate that. It's just, it bothers me a bit.
1: I don't know if this is exactly what you're asking I think the thing that comes to mind again this may not answer the question that you're asking but I really struggle something that really can frustrate me get me fired up is just injustice in general especially mm-hmm. injustice towards people that maybe don't have that voice to be able mm-hmm. to stand up and so yeah I think that's just something that has been on my heart is like seeing that injustice and wanting to try to, to do something to help those people that don't have a voice and use anything that I have to be able to help in that way so again I don't know if that fully answers your question but yeah like just injustice Justice in general, but especially when it's towards somebody that maybe yeah doesn't have that voice to be able to stand up against it, that, yeah, that gets me pretty fired up.
0: And that's exactly what I'm thinking about. And that's where the challenge I would have for those that are listening to this is to think about in your life the spiritual things that you love and that you hate. You now, hating injustice would not be a bad thing for a Christian to be known for. Hating the poor would be one that would be a bad thing. Or hating somebody that's not of the same political party as you. And so as you're listening at home or in the car or on your run, just kind of think through yourself. What would people that know you're a Christian think that you stand for? Do they know more of what you love about spiritual things or about what you hate?
1: We'll uh, move to our next point. I think this is a good one. I think something to spend some time on here. But acceptance does not mean approval. So I'll read that again. Acceptance does not mean approval. So, George, you want to unpack that a little bit for us?
0: Well, you know, the whole thing here is, again, using an example of a child, a parent still loves their child when they discipline them. And so when they do something wrong and you discipline them, you still love them. And so you might even say it, I love you, you're forgiven, but there will be a consequence. And so when we love somebody, we forgive them. We continue to treat them the same way after they've made a mistake and we've reconciled that mistake, but we don't have to approve of that behavior. So my grandson throws a temper tantrum. I tell him, I love you, but that's not an acceptable behavior. And so in the church, we sometimes get that confused just because I love everybody and I accept them into the church that we're approving of maybe a lifestyle. And here, the prime example that Adam shared with is how we deal with those folks that maybe have a different view of sexual relations. Do I invite my aunt, who is a same-sex marriage, to my family celebration? Does my inviting her say that I approve of that lifestyle? Or does it say that I accept her as another person, but I don't approve of what she's doing? And this kind of goes back to, and Adam actually brought up, and he referenced our podcast, something we talked about early on with Adam, the phrase, love the sinner, but hate the sin. And he again refreshed the idea that like, that's just kind of a saying. It's just a throwaway catchphrase that helps you not have to deal with reality. It's the tension. How do Mm -hmm. I accept somebody as a dearly loved child of God, but not approve of their behavior?
1: Yeah, and I fullheartedly agree with this. I think the hard part can be we understand that and I think we all agree with that. But sometimes somebody may say, Well, since you don't approve of this, you're not accepting me And so that's that battle or that tension again that we may face is you know, somebody may be like, Well, since you don't approve of this, you're basically you are saying you you don't accept me and anyway I just think that's something that just for people to keep in mind, like I said, that sometimes people aren't gonna agree with that and Yeah, so we just had to work through that. But yeah, Julie, I guess any thoughts you have on that? Well, the
2: word tension came back to, that's where we started today, was that love is the tension between grace and truth. So that's a perfect example. I was reading in our notes, these conversations are best held in the context of trust, love, and authentic relationship. I think that word trust is huge. Just that the person that we are having this conversation with, they know that they trust us and we trust them. And so that helps the tension a little bit.
0: Well, again, how do we show somebody that we love them? How do we build the trust in them? And some of that goes back to, I don't want to just tell you what's wrong in your life without getting to know you.
2: Right. Remember, the was it last week? We talked about, rela- or maybe it was two weeks ago, we talked yeah, about- All the weeks <laughs> fade together, don't they? But we talked mm. about when we really see results, it's because we have taken the time to have a relationship- I think we were talking about classroom and I could have laid down all the rules for the year, but without relationship, they probably wouldn't have been accepted as easily and and responded to as well. I think this is the same situation. We can't just go in and just be like a blast furnace. We've got to ease in and have that relationship time to build it.
1: I think it was this past weekend, there was a line from Pastor John's sermon where we talked about loving our neighbor the last, uh, as we're again recording this, that we've been going through that. And he had something along the lines of, I'm not exactly sure, but it was something along the lines of love without an agenda. Mm, And I think that's mm -hmm. the big thing is, you know, we don't love with trying to get them to heaven or love to get them to believe something about a certain situation that we do or you know whatever it may be it's just we love them because they're a child of God and so I think that's yeah that's important is that in the thing with that is it takes time Mm -hmm. and it takes being there consistently and continuing to show up and a lot of times it's showing up when it's difficult mm-hmm. or inconvenient or whatever it may be but that's when it speaks the loudest i think is when they need somebody and you're that person that's there for them that yeah it just it really speaks volumes there
2: i remember that phrase because i wrote it down in my bible but i think it was caring without an agenda that's what love is so just a yeah like I said, no no i appreciate
1: yeah. that because I, I knew it was something along those lines mm-hmm. but i couldn't remember for sure
0: the, the thing I was going to point out is going back to my earlier reference about that religious group that protests at every other occasion, it, it goes back to that same thing, right? They're just protesting against something they hate. They're not taking any time to actually get to know people, talk to them. They're just condemning them. And I think that's why, again, the Christians as a whole are perceived as judgmental and hateful because there are some folks like that that they don't really care about the person. They just are trying to eliminate that behavior from society as they see it. And so, again, going back to that caring thing, you got to look at jesus you know jesus never said that sin was okay and yet he accepted people and i think that's as we're looking at all these things we got to keep looking to that example the fullness of grace and truth jesus would say neither do i condemn you go and sin no more right and so we kind of want to do that same thing but getting to know people walking alongside them so that actually goes to the next point that in everything we do, our goal is to point to Jesus. You know, we cannot change people's hearts. We cannot change people's minds. We cannot force them to behave. What we can do is share Jesus, share Jesus' love, and let the Holy Spirit do his work. So as you're thinking about that, one of the things that uh, Pastor John and Pastor Adam brought up was the idea of empathy. Empathy is having a feeling for how other people are. It's not just rejecting them because you don't agree with what they've done, but it's it's acknowledging that they've got a reality. Now, their reality could involve some sinful behavior. Their reality could involve a a false perception of life. But we're not there to judge their reality. We acknowledge their reality and then, again, point them to the ultimate truth. And we go back when we talk about truth, the ultimate truth. What does God's Word say? But they're not going to want to look at God's Word unless they know about Jesus.
2: You said something empathy is about a feeling and we can't just point to the sinful behavior of others, right? Did you say something like that?
0: Understanding feeling of others, yeah.
2: Right. And when I hear that I think, but who am I to point out someone else's sin because I'm a sinner too. And so I really well, have trouble. You, well,
0: you're getting to the next point, you okay. know, because all of us, you know, ultimately are a mess, right? The quote that was used in class is all of us have been a mess are a mess now or will be in a mess sometime in our life because we are flawed sinners and we're all going to make mistakes and again how many times does jesus say not to judge others take the plank out of your own eye before you pull the speck out of somebody else's eye every one of us is a sinner now is there a place where, though, we need to speak the truth? Mm -hmm. And that becomes that tension, right? I'm a sinner, so I need to speak the truth. But I would ask in return, and that's where that relationship comes in. Getting to know somebody, I need them to know me so they can tell me I've got sin that I need in my life because, and again, we're going to go back and talk about this, I think, a little bit more next week. Sin in your life can pull you away from Jesus. It can also push people away from Jesus as they see. For example, the hateful Christians push more people away from Jesus because people go, well, why would I want that? You guys are full of hate. Hmm. So we've got to keep that, again, that tension and empathizing with where somebody is in their life. Yeah, maybe they've never known Jesus. Or maybe they've been rejected so many times by by Jesus' people, they don't want to have anything to do with that. And so getting to know them, those meaningful conversations, getting to understand where they're at. Again, empathizing does not mean agreeing that what they did was right, but it's understanding where that might have come from.
1: Yeah, and as you said, I think we're going to get into this a little bit more. For the next episode about when we're talking about uh, maybe it's unbelievers and talking about that versus you know our conversations or sins that believers are committing and so we'll, we'll kind of talk about the difference there but i think it's important us as believers that we have those people in our lives that can call out that sin and i think that when we talk about compelling community, that's what I think of, again, is where we're sharing the gospel with one another, We're reminding each other of who Jesus is and what he's done and holding each other accountable. And what it really comes down to, Julie, like you said, it's hard because it's like, well, we know we're, we're sinful. Who are we to check somebody else on it? But it's that loving relationship. And I think the word that I think of is it takes humility mm. to be like, no, George, if I do something stupid, if I sin, I want you to call me out on it and talk. To say hey that's what we need to talk. Whether it's my interaction with Sarah or with with our, our kids that are in our home or with my coworker, whatever it may be, George is a mentor to me. Like I want him to be able to call me out on it. And not because it's like, I feel like George is coming down on me, but it's like, no, I want to get out of response to God's love and grace. I want to become more and more like Jesus. And I don't want to sin or sin against other people. And I'm, I'm going to obviously, but we need to continue to repent. But I want having people in my life that I can say, and the same thing with my discipleship group, guys that can say, hey, Dustin, we need to talk about this. So I think just having those relationships in your life where you can be humble with one another and know it's not a I'm getting attacked by you it's a you love me because you're you're wanting better for me
0: when you talk about being a sinner we all are and that's where if I address somebody I don't know and tell them their sin it means nothing but because I'm a sinner and I'm asking a fellow believer to hold me accountable it's a mutual thing we understand each other we're trying to help each other Mm. become better Christians
2: I think we're really good at building facades, about building brick walls. So we hide our messiness so others don't see it. So we can appear like we have it all together and we all do it. And I think then it's really hard to do what you're saying because we're not admitting or we're not willing to show it. So I think part of it is just getting, well, you said humility, being transparent enough. I don't know what the word I'm looking for to even admit that things are messy because I don't think we can be taken seriously if no one sees our mess. Yeah.
1: Yeah absolutely
0: so in all the messy situations in our life again we got to continue to point to jesus we need to be pointed to jesus Mm -hmm. we need to remember that we're out of time for this week Uh, next week i know that pastor john and pastor adam are going to get into some practical examples actually not next week that's in two weeks that their class meets Next week, we're going to do a little bit more of a discussion here about another topic that's going to be just a little bit uh, something we talked about earlier on rewards and does God reward us and what does that mean? And then we'll come back to some practical examples as John and Adam pick up their class after Labor Day. Any last minute? announcements here there, Dustin.
1: Julie, do you have anything? I just had one last point I wanted to, to just bring up. Of You talk about that messiness because I love the phrase embrace the mess. That's what we have on our notes here. When we're seeking to share the gospel with unbelievers, step out and, and on mission in the places where we live or work or have recreation time, whatever. Our lives, like you said, our lives are messy. Other people's lives are messy. It's kind of embrace that. And I think the other thing when we talk about that point to Point people to Jesus. A lot of it, again, we talked about build those relationships, have those meaningful conversations, seek to bless others. And then once you get to know their stories, then as you find those opportunities to share the gospel or point them to Jesus, once you kind of figure out, okay, what's the desire of their heart? What's the longing of their heart to be able then to, on our notes, it says point them to the ideal, to be able to point them to Jesus. And so it's not trying to force things, but it's just looking for those opportunities and saying, okay, here's that opportunity. I can share the gospel or apply the gospel. To their story or to their situation or their context, so I'm um, just kind of wanted to, to close on that point. So again, thank you for our listeners for tuning in and continuing to have these discussions on discipleship and specifically right now, grace and truth. And uh, we look forward to our next episode. As, as George mentioned,
0: now go out and serve God and others.